This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Hi, I'm Java Chapman, and Malcolm and Carol, they're not live today, but we put together some of their favorite moments from 2020 to share with you. You're listening to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. We're not able to take your call right now, but you can always reach us through email. The address is food at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio. Good morning and welcome back to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White here with my friend Carol Bucket. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Malcolm. And guess who is on the phone? I hear we've got a superstar of the port world. Yes, we do. And we've had many celebrities on our show. But in my mind and in my heart, this is the biggest one we've ever had. It's Alan Benton from Madisonville, Tennessee. And uh, good morning, Alan. And we've had your bacon all weekend long. Good morning, Carol. And good morning, Malcolm. I'm delighted to be with you. And you may just have given me the best compliment I've ever had in my life, Carol. Thank you so much. Uh, you're, you're so welcome, Alan. Uh, a, a few weeks ago, when all of this coronavirus started, our mutual friend Thomas Williams uh, and I were talking, and I said, "Oh my gosh!" I said, "We are we are out of bacon." So I think we ordered six or eight pounds of bacon the first week, and are kind of blowing through it. So we've had a bacon fest. <laughs> so you're at work this morning. Oh, yes, ma'am. We're still open. Of course, we're struggling with this uh, coronavirus problem like all people in the restaurant business. Uh, our fortunes are tied so closely to the restaurants that we do business with. Uh, when they all closed, uh, 80-something percent of my business left with them. So mm. we're struggling a little bit, but we're determined hillbillies. We're going to come out the other side of this thing. <laughs> we're still keeping our business well, Alan, open. I, we're still I know a, a lot of people... Um, don't know that they can order the bacon directly from you and you know for for a long time it was uh, you know very precious and and hard to get but they can go online right or call the store yes ma'am they can either go online or call our store either and uh we ship uh, thank goodness my internet retail sales are very strong right now we're still sending packages to people all over the country Carol, a lot of my success, I have a direct link to the state of Mississippi. I have to be very grateful for that relationship. Two things were very pivotal in me figuring out there was a market with restaurants across the country. First off, the Southern Foodways Alliance. I could never repay the, the Southern Foodways Alliance for what they've done for my business if I tried. And you have a rock star chef in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, by the name of Robert St. John. Uh, Oh, we know him well. (laughs) I I can't tell you how incredible I think he and his family are. They're just super folks. But the nice part, he actually wrote about me a couple of times. He's a syndicated columnist. And I'll just tell you, back in the day, I wasn't shipping that many packages. And I remember shipping packages for three months to people all over Mississippi and Louisiana as fast as I could because of that article he wrote. And I've never forgotten that. So I'm still humbled by all the attention that you're giving me today and that he gave me, and I'm proud of that Mississippi connection. Well, we are very proud of Robert always, but during um, during this time, he is, he's been a real hero not only to the restaurant community lobbying for uh, you know, for money and uh, access for the restaurant community, but he has his own charity, Extra Table, and is feeding people all you know all over the state. But um, I did want to say that I think Robert learned about you in the same way that I did, and that was for me back in the '80s visiting Blackberry Farm in Wallen, Tennessee, which is one of the you know now top resorts in the country, but it was where I experienced your bacon, and uh, I believe Robert did too. So tell us about that relationship with Blackberry and how this all started. Well, Carol, I'm blessed. It was the first white tablecloth restaurant I ever sold my product to. 
And um, I thought it was probably a single wide or double wide trailer with a porch on the front. I had no idea what Blackberry Farm was. I just knew there couldn't be anything in West Miller Cove in Wallen, Tennessee. And I was so lucky to finally figure out that uh, there's a market with fine dining restaurants all over the country. That was that opened it up. They, they're the ones that got me invited to the Southern Foodways Alliance the first time. Uh, I, I can trace the dots back to Blackberry Farm and John Fleer. And John Fleer. John, John Fleer, I could never repay John for what he did for my business, Carol. He simply put my name out with chefs all across the country. And I have to count my blessings every day of my life for that relationship still. He's one of the finest well, men I've ever known. Alan, I remember the first time you came to Southern Foodways, we were trying to get you to come, and we used John as bait. And uh, and you said, you know, John, I, you know I don't do things like that. I'll be happy to send my bacon. And, uh, <laughs> and, John, and John T. Ed said, that's not what we do. You know, you have to come. And I, I can remember being under a big tent and a Saturday night in Oxford. And I remember you telling people, said, I have found church. I have found my people. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was the first time, Carol, that I'd ever been around people who were as passionate about the things that I'm passionate about as I was. And it was. It's, I still consider that my tribe. I've, uh, I've been graced to get to meet some of the best people on earth through the Southern Foodways Alliance. And I could never repay John T. Edge. I actually turned him down when, the, when he first called up here. I remember. Of course, John, John T. is very persistent. <laughs> and he called me back and convinced me that I had to come. I offered to send hams or whatever, but I was just too busy to come. And he finally said, you simply have to come. And you know how persuasive he is. And thank goodness I did. It's the most uh, meaningful group I've ever been around in my life. It was, it's an amazing bunch of folks. But Alan, from from that be, you know from that beginning with Southern Foodways, I think your bacon is sold. I mean, one time I heard a Japanese film crew was coming to Madisonville. So, is the bacon sold in Japan too? We don't ship it out of the country, Carol. Now I'll be quite honest. I think some chefs are very creative and find ways to take it to Europe and Asia. I've been told that at least. I don't know that. Uh, but I've been told it's been served. Many people have encountered my products in Europe. Um, I'm proud of the fact that I sell it in the great state of Mississippi than I am in Europe, to be quite honest, because people in the South know what good pork is supposed to be like. And if the people in Mississippi like my bacon and ham, that's as great a compliment as my business can ever have. Malcolm, know I know you're waiting to, to jump in on this, and I, I'm sorry that I'm so excited about having no. Alan on the phone. So I'll turn no. it over. <laughs> no, I mean, I am enjoy listening to y'all talk. I, I really appreciate you, Alan, coming on today. I know you actually were born and raised in Scott County, Virginia, and you sort of <clears throat> grew up with this Thanksgiving tradition of hog killing day. Can you talk That's a little correct. bit about your early life and, and, and what might be sort of secrets or uh, you know, information that people might be interested in about how you actually prepare your hams and your bacon? First off, um, Malcolm, I, I, I'll have lots of young chefs visit my place, and I'll go through and I'll show them how I make the product and tell them what I use. If you eat my bacon, the only ingredients in my bacon is salt and brown sugar. There's no nitrates, no nitrites, no words you can't pronounce. And if you don't like smoke flavor and salt pork, you're not going to like my products. But thank goodness people in the South tend to like it. Um, we grew up, we butchered our own pigs on Thanksgiving Day if it wasn't raining. That was considered ideal hog killing time uh, in, in Virginia when I was a kid growing up. And we cured our own hams and bacon and sausage. And the recipe that I used to make my ham and my bacon is still the original recipe from the log smokehouse behind the house I was born in. Um, I've played with all kinds of recipes, but it seems like my customers really like what we're doing, and we're just like a broken record. We just keep on making it the same way and, and had a great business shipping it to restaurants across the country. So we got Homer on the phone from Lyon, Mississippi. Hey, Homer, what's going on? Hey, how y'all doing? doing? We're great. good. 
I'm I'm a little curious here. This is maybe off the beaten path a little bit, but I grow a lot of banana peppers. Of course, I got Google. You know, you know how what Google does. It, it'll lead you sometime <laughs> in a good place, and sometimes it'll run you down a rabbit hole. Uh, but I want to ask anybody out there uh, that before Google and all that, people used to make banana pepper sauce, and that's what I want to do. What is a good recipe? Now I've looked online. It's two or three things you got to get that you can't get unless you order it. But before that, people were making pepper sauce, and I just want to ask anybody out there, do they have a good recipe to make banana pepper sauce? All right, well, that's a, uh, that's a great question and a, a good call uh, to our listenership, and Carol, I'm sure, will have some insight. But I would just say that this is so timely because these banana peppers are coming in fast and furiously. I have. Oh my God. Probably th- they are coming so fast. <laughs> yeah. I've got three pounds uh, upstairs in my kitchen and I'll tell you what I've been doing with them. I, I think you're onto something here with the banana pepper jelly, but I take them and I chop them all up uh, and, and wash them off and put them on a sheet pan with garlic and onions and just put them in the oven and roast them. And then I use them for toppings on meat and, and omelets on, as a side dish on rice and pasta. It's just a, a, I mean, when you have an abundance like we do, that's one of the things I'm doing with them. Carol, what do you think about banana pepper jelly? Well, I think he's talking about like pickled banana. The sauce, yes. Banana, you pour it on peas and grains. Yeah. yeah, but... Um, I've been using banana peppers. I got one of my ideas from you. I saw one of your photographs on cooking and coping, Malcolm, and you sauteed a skillet of banana peppers. I can't remember what you were making, but it was they were so pretty. So I've been adding them to a lot of dishes. And our friend Sherry Lucas, who is living down in Summit, Mississippi, during the uh, the quarantine. You brought me a bunch of them a couple of weeks ago, and I actually roasted and stuffed them with a little sausage mixture and then some with a cream cheese mixture. You know, wow. stirred, and they were just great. But I have never, never pickled them. And I'm hoping that somebody out there will call in and help uh, Homer because it would help us too. That sounds like a really good thing that we could all do right now. Well, I have a jar of pickled banana peppers in my refrigerator. It's a commercial product. Um, And what I do this time of year is as I use up those uh, peppers, and I love to put them on sandwiches, on salads. uh, Now I'm talking about the pickled banana peppers that come in a a jar that you buy in a grocery store. And as I use them up, I literally chop the new fresh ones that I'm getting and replenish them in the jar. And I recycle that pepper sauce that is commercially produced somewhere, which is mostly vinegar, water, probably a little sugar, some garlic, you know, basic pickling recipe. But anyway, that's a great question, Homer. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for calling in. Carol, you wanted to add something? I did want to add one thing. You just made me think about uh, a, another way to use banana peppers, those pickled ones. In the winter, when it's duck season and you know people have ducks in their refrigerator, banana peppers are great with duck poppers. You oh, yeah. Take a little bit of duck, put a banana pepper and a little cream cheese, wrap it in bacon, and and bacon. Wow, that's great. Now, but that's it adds that delicious. little taste of sweetness and tartness you know, to the duck. You're listening to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. We're not able to take your call right now, but you can always reach us through email. The address is food at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio. Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB Public Media app.
from MPB Think Radio. This is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Hi, I'm Java Chapman, and Malcolm and Carol, they're not live today, but we put together some of their favorite moments from 2020 to share with you. and Malcolm White. You're tuned to MPB Think Radio. This is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Welcome back, folks. Hello, Carol. Hey, Mal. You messing around? I am messing around, and I am so excited about our topic today. Why don't you do the honors? Well, I am so happy to because we want to welcome back our friend Trudy Fisher, who is a lawyer by day and a championship barbecuer by night. And she has been one of our favorite guests uh, because not only does she know her stuff, but she's given us a lot of great tips that our listeners absolutely love. So let's talk about it. Hey, Trudy. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's a little early in the morning to be uh, talking about barbecue for some people, but for us, there's no time like like the present. And never too early. Never too early to talk barbecue. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about sauces, Trudy. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, conversation about different types of sauces from different regions. Uh, I've always contended that Mississippi doesn't have a unique barbecue uh, sauce or tradition, though we are influenced certainly by Memphis, influenced by Missouri, influenced by Texas and others. What, what's your take on uh, the map of the sauces that we know? Yeah, I think the, the map of the sauces we know really it goes back to the or, origins of our country. I mean, you look at the you look at the colonies that were first settled. You look at the regions of Africa and the Caribbean where uh, slaves were brought in and when they were brought in first to our country. And that's where you really see the history and the origins of the sauces. And I agree with you, Malcolm. I don't think in Mississippi we are we have one sauce because you look at the history of our state. You know, we're from all over. And so people brought what they liked and what they were influenced by from, from North Carolina. You know, we, we had a lot of settlers early on from North Carolina. Uh, so, you know, that probably influenced. You had a lot of the Tennessee settlement coming down into Mississippi. Uh, so I think it it's really goes back to the, the origins of our country and tracing that. I, I in, my, in my next career, I'd love just to spend some time and really write a deep, do some detailed historical analysis on, on barbecue and sauces. In South Carolina, it's so interesting. You know, you had a lot of Germans settle in South Carolina in the 1700s. And so they brought their mustard influence. And so that's why you have part of South Carolina known for the mustard sauce. They came from the Germans. Um, you had um, African slaves coming in that were used to the hot peppers and tartness. Well, they got, you know, when they got here, they said, well, we don't have a lot of lemons and limes. What's this vinegar? You know, let's use some vinegar uh, with our peppers. So it's just, the history is just fascinating. Uh, when you go back and really spend some time looking at it. Well, you just covered a point that uh, that I wanted to cover. I went to college in South Carolina and fell in love with the mustard-based sauce and yeah, didn't realize how many Germans came. I, I believe it was in the, in the 17th century. They actually recruited Germans. The, the government uh, recruited Germans to come to that area and paid their pass, passage on ships. And so that's why in that one region of South Carolina, you get the yellow mustard. But in other regions, you have the more vinegar and pepper-based sauces and the tomato sauce. Right, right. And the further west you got, it seemed that the tomatoes, you, you got to see more of the tomato sauce added to blend out, mild out the peppers and the vinegar. 
uh, it's interesting in Tennessee, you know, Tennessee is such a, uh, a long state, big state from east to west. You know, eastern Tennessee barbecue is different than western Tennessee barbecue because of its proximity to the Carolinas uh, and, and that historical influence. So it's really, it's really a fascinating part, I think, of our food culture and history uh, in the South. Trudy, what is the East Tennessee? Is that more of a vinegar? More of a vinegar. More of a get vinegar with the influencing, beginning of the influencing of the tomato, but still more of a vinegar than, so, a, than, a, than a thicker, thin, thin, yes. Yeah, yeah thin. And, and what's your take on, uh, speaking of Memphis, what's your take on the dry rub versus the wet barbecue sauce? I like both. You know, it kind of depends on who the audience is, who my guests are that I'm serving on what I'm going to do. But um, ribs can be cooked with just, you know, with just your dry rub and have a heavy coating of dry rub on it. And they can be tender and fall off the bone. Wonderful. Um, I, my preference with ribs is to use the dry, I have a dry rub, but I finish it off with a glaze. I don't have a heavy sauce. I think, you know, one thing people always need to remember, and I try to remember, is like your sauce is to complement your product, whatever it is. It's not to overpower, it's not to stand alone. And so I think for ribs, it's such a, you know, a small piece of meat that you're working with anyway, you have to be careful that your sauce, that you're not just, you, you just don't have some meat in some sauce. And so that's why I think a glaze and dry rub works. Uh, and then and, and then for my guests, I always have sauce on the side. If they want more, they, you know, please add more. But I usually just try to, to minimize the sauce so it, it's there to complement. All right, we've got Tom on the line. Tom calling from Jackson. What's up? Uh, Malcolm, Carol, uh, nothing about banana peppers, but Years ago, my mother lived in Greenwood, and there was a truck stop just south on 49, uh, Lusk's Truck Stop, and uh -huh. they had really good food. But they had a salad dressing that was uh, the same color as Comeback, the same coloring, but it tasted different. And I was wondering if, Carol, if you remember that, and... I was wondering if anybody by some chance had a recipe for it. I don't remember it. It was probably after my, t or before my time in, in Greenwood, but it would be great if somebody could call in and tell us about that. And you I think would, it was Lusk Truck Stop? Lusk, L-U-S-K. Her name was Lorraine Lusk. I think her husband's name was Frank. But they had really good food, <laughs> did a real good business on Sunday. And but right. the salad dressing was, was unique. It was a different flavor. And I, uh, I would love to have the recipe for it. But anyway, just a thought. Now, Tom, I recognize your voice as being someone who has eaten quite a bit of salad dressing at the Reese Court in Boonville, Mississippi. What do you remember about that salad dressing? Well, it, it, was, it was good, and it was sort of a similar taste i guess to a comeback but it was it was different it was really good though. i remember it well that's the first what i call comeback dressing i ever saw where you go in a restaurant and the dressing was already on the table in a plastic squirt bottle and yeah. there weren't choices you didn't you didn't get a choice of no of three or four salad if you ate a salad you ate the Reese Court salad dressing, and that was my first comeback experience. Well, and Malcolm, you good. have been a real student of comeback. I, I believe you wrote the article on comeback dressing for the Encyclopedia of Southern Culture. I did, and uh, I have long been a fan. Uh, when I first came to Jackson, I thought it was uh, only in this area, and then I remembered growing up in Boonville that it had uh, been served, a version of it had been served uh, there at the Reese Court, but my research tells me that it came from the old Five Points uh, in Jackson, Apostles. the rotisserie, the rotisserie, rotisserie restaurant. Yeah. yeah, is that right, Tom? That's right. That's right. And and it was Alec Dennery who is credited with concocting the first 
batch and commercially uh, offering comeback as the word comeback dressing uh, in the rotisserie restaurant. In fact, I was on the phone uh, a couple of days ago with Fred Noblock, who grew up in Jackson. Great he was songwriter. Great singer, songwriter, performer. He told me that, he said, I have the original recipe for the comeback dressing uh, at the rotisserie. And I said, so do I. And he said, well, mine is on a, uh, a little uh, order ticket that the waiters use. And he said, my mom got it for me from one of the waiters there. And I said, so is mine. So I took a picture of mine, which is on an old uh, ticket, uh, like a 1940s or 50s style ticket, sent it to him. And he said, that is the exact same <laughs> recipe that I have. That thing has been circulating around uh, the culinary cycles for years and years and years. Yeah. Well, Malcolm, uh, the the uh, comeback at Howlin' Mouse is fantastic. Well, we have a good one. There's a bunch of great ones out there. The, yeah. the, May, the Mayflower uh, has a fabulous comeback. There's well, there's this of the royal family of the of the of Greeks, the comebacks. right? But yeah. I, I I consider uh, consider my two gr- friends Jill Connor Brown and Donna Barksdale, and I are the reason that y'all stopped putting the bottles of <laughs> on the table and just give people the little paper cups because we would sit there and eat uh, saltines and come back. You know, you were probably losing lots of money. Oh, yeah, yeah. Comeback habit. And maybe there were yeah. others like us, too. Got a lot of fans of free comeback and salt teams. I'm going to uh, do a quick turnaround here, and I'm going to uh, ask Java if he'll turn his microphone on and share with us. You know, Java took an online cooking class recently, and we've been talking about those online cooking classes, and I'd like to hear how that went for you, Java. Tell it to us. Yeah, the online the online cooking class was was pretty cool. I had never done anything like that. I mean, I dabble in the kitchen if that's what you want to call it, like warming stuff up in the oven or stirring <laughs> stirring uh, rice in a pot. I don't, you know, but um, it was pretty cool. My cousin was um, it was actually for her birthday, and I know a lot of people have been doing that with the quarantine since you know everybody can't get together for these kind of big outlandish parties and things. So people have been kind of uh doing the zoom and it was all over zoom the chef she was based out of new york my cousin she lives in washington dc so everybody was just connecting from their family from atlanta and um uh, my mom even here in jackson was uh was a part of it and i mean we cooked fried chicken made this very nice uh carol i know you can appreciate this and you too malcolm nashville hot uh honey. Oh boy. chicken yeah yeah we, yeah we actually made the made the sauce uh did this thing called quick pickling so we did the onions and the vinegar and uh i mean my wife she was there doing like the heavy heavy lifting so <laughs> uh but from <laughs> but from my perspective it was it was good it was fun uh we made biscuits like on the spot so i mean it was it was nice and i encourage anybody if you need uh like an escape or something to do find your online um um cooking course and uh and just try it out it's it's good fun even if you're doing it with strangers because a lot of times people are just you know trying to have fun and expand and i mean mess up that's part of the process you know and you always learn something. I mean, I used to say that at cooking schools at the Everyday Gourmet. Even if you are a great cook, you learn at least one thing. And as far as your cooking goes, Java, we expect you to join in on all future biscuit conversations since you know how to make biscuits now. <laughs> well, I will. You know, that's one thing that, that really stumps us and a lot of people. All right, we got uh, on the phone. We've got Carolyn calling from Macon, Mississippi. Hello, Carolyn. What's going on? Hi. Thank you for your program. Uh, I I have tried three different buttermilk biscuit recipes, and none of them worked out. Do you guys have a good um, buttermilk biscuit recipe that is buttery tasty? <laughs> Well, let let me just first ask you, do you have access to the Internet? Yes. Okay. 
I was having problems with my buttermilk biscuits too. And I went on YouTube and if you put in buttermilk biscuits, you're going to find several videos, but the one that I highly recommend is by Natalie Dupree, uh, a great cook, chef, cookbook author. And she is actually on this YouTube teaching a woman, I think from CNN, you know, to, to make biscuits. And watching her do it really helped me you know, understand uh, about you know, gathering and pulling in your flour to the buttermilk. But you know, the best thing is always to start with good buttermilk, but that's my recommendation. Okay, thanks. Well, thank you, Carolyn. We appreciate your listening and appreciate your call. Uh, the doctor is always in here on Deep South Dining. If you are having trouble with your family or with your buttermilk biscuits, <laughs> we are here to help. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. You're listening to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. We're not able to take your call right now, but you can always reach us through email. The address is food at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio. Malcolm White with Carol Puckett. Listen to a little Freddie King called Butterscotch. It's a sweet sort of Monday morning, Carol. We've been with Cinnamon Girl and now with Butterscotch. How are you doing, Carol? I'm doing great. I, I really think Java loves us on the days that he puts this great music on. Well, you know, he's a DJ by, uh, you know, by heart. I mean, he's, he, he's, he's a producer. And by trade, he's a producer, but he's also a DJ, man. So he knows all about this stuff. Yeah, thanks, Java. We appreciate it. Carol, why don't you introduce our very special guest this morning? Well, that's not hard to do because John Kearns is someone that I have known for a long time and admired for even longer. John comes from the city of New Orleans. He came to Oxford 20-some years ago, and has really transformed the landscape, the culinary landscape uh, of Oxford. And he, he really is the impetus for it being, quote, the food capital of Mississippi. And um, I must say that I got to be in the audience at the James Beard Awards the night that he won Best Chef of the South. And it, it was a very emotional moment for all of us from Mississippi and all the people that love John. Uh, his, his restaurants are legendary, the great city grocery. Uh, although my favorite is Big Bad Breakfast because I love a good breakfast. But Bouray and Snack Bar and then his catering company. But we're talking today about the, the new book, Tailgrate, and it's kind of the answer. I've been following him all through the quarantine and, you know, wishing him the best, but golly, to come out with the book at this time and be working on that at the same time, trying to save your restaurants and hold, hold everything together. Hey, John, how'd you do it? You've known me long enough to know that if somebody's going to figure out a dumb way to do something, it's going to be me. And, and putting a book out on tailgating in the middle of the plague is about the dumbest thing that you could do. But, yeah, you know, here we are and trying to win some football and win some parties in Oxford. And, uh, you know, we're, we're making the making the best that we can out. Well, I see that you've done a number of things uh, with with the restaurants during the, the plague, as you say. And uh, I'm very interested that that you're you're doing the pop ups again. Tell us about that. Well, you know, again, this is a, you know, a. a 
a way to, to to try to you know generate some sort of income to to offset the you know the cost of of keeping as many of our people employed as we possibly can. Which you know we've uh, you know we have rehired everybody who was you know was willing to come back to work, and our workforce looks uh, very similar to what it did um, you know before the, the the shutdown came. And so you know the pop-ups were just a way of generating some more seats, generating something of uh, of a little more. Uh, interest, uh, you know, again, back to dumb ideas that I had, you know, my business partner and I uh, have been working the last several months on uh, purchasing the uh, the local tennis club uh, here in town. And I mean, again, <laughs> of course you are pretty stupid from the, uh, the outside. It has to, <laughs> you know, we're, we're cockroaches trying to, to, to find a little bit of food in the, uh, in the post-apocalyptic landscape that's out there right now. Uh, I wanted to read just a sentence or two from the forward of the book, because, ladies and gentlemen, this is not your normal nostalgic, tailgating uh, book. And Wright Thompson, who wrote the forward, said, as the beneficiary of many a meal cooked by John, let me say that this book isn't just a way to stroke your nostalgia. No, this book is a blunt object, a weapon that will dramatically improve your tailgate game. And it is indeed a blunt object. The recipes are so bold. And, you know, you kick it up a notch on, on some old ones, but you know, I've never never really thought of doing Indian food for tailgating and you know that that's my next horizon some delicious looking easy recipes hey Stafford how you doing man let's talk about gas station food reviews so you know a lot of water's passed under the bridge since the last time we talked hadn't it sure has but we're yeah, glad you're back with us up in Drew Mississippi you know, I, I was listening to you guys earlier. We actually never closed our restaurant during the whole thing in, in terms of we delivered and we did curbside the whole time. Now, the dining room obviously was closed, but uh, but we, you know, customers were great for us. They, uh, I think our business was about as good as normal, so really was happy about that. Are you still reviewing gas station food, or has the coronavirus knocked you out of that? So we didn't review gas station food for a while there, and we did what we call the COVID edition, where we reviewed some of the cottage industry foods from around Mississippi, and I just did it right in front of our store there in Drew. But we did uh, – I didn't know this, but there's a company in Mississippi that makes summer sausage, and uh, we tried that out, which is Yoder. And uh, there's all kind of great sausage, and, I mean, you know, it's it's – a pretty interesting cottage industry out there too. So we did that while we couldn't review the gas stations, and I did my okay. first gas station review again, which was our fifth. And we went to Cupolo. Wow. And if you remember, I actually name dropped you guys in that episode. You'll have to go check it out. Well, tell our listeners how they can follow you uh, in your, with your episodes and your gas station food reviews. So you can find me on just about any social media, and that includes YouTube. And it's just Stafford Sheridan. If you just type that in the search bar or if you type at Stafford Sheridan in the search bar, on whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, it's all about the same. And um, But we go from top of Mississippi to the bottom. And by the way, I've sought out your Press Po Boys, too. And? And they're great. What did... In fact, you know, I heard you guys talking about the cooking and coping. One of the things that I posted was we we've been doing a pressed po' boy with pulled pork on it at your wow that sounds delish hey stafford spill yes. your name so people out there can make sure they it is, find it is a mouthful so it's uh it's stafford sheridan s-t-a-f-f-o-r-d s-h-u-r-d-e-n great and you're all over social media and Again, for those who aren't familiar with you, you basically review gas station food, but you also own a restaurant and you're a, a big time promoter of all things Mississippi and culinary Mississippi, especially. And a farmer. And, and a, farmer. a farmer. And, 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 and a judge. Farm and, and, 
Well, you know, I retired from that December 31st. So that kind of opened me up to do a little bit more of this kind of stuff. And, you know, it's been a real interesting thing because it's as I travel the state, gas station food's different in different parts of the state. And, uh, it, and some of the best food in different parts of the state is gas station. But, you know, in the Delta, it's a little more fried chicken. You know, I think our fried chicken in the Delta seems to be a little better. And then you get up in the hill country, it's more barbecue. Uh, went to a right. great place called Roses in Hattiesburg. Incredible barbecue there. And they got they barbecue everything. Then you get down on the coast, and you start seeing that New Orleans influence, you know, and the seafood and the roast beef po' boy that, that Fat Baby and Elise's and stuff like that. It, it's real interesting. So, um, And we've done 50 of these. So you can kind of get that idea as you watch, the, watch them. And they range from like three minutes long to 10 minutes, depending on uh, on what all we did. Hey, tell us about your reach. Last time we talked, you were reaching into Australia and all sorts of crazy places. Uh, how many followers, kind of how are you measuring your social media? Well, through the COVID thing, you know, we were probably getting around somewhere around seventy to 100,000 video views a week when all of this COVID wow. stuff hit. And that went down to where we were getting like 10,000 because we weren't putting, hmm. posting new content. So there's no right. new content. And um, and this is just Facebook I'm talking about. That doesn't include uh, the other other places you can watch it. But um, this last, this episode 50 that we did, we, we got about 28,000 views on that, just that alone. And so it's, uh, you know, you wondered, was I going to lose some traction there because we were getting a lot of views every week and we're putting out a lot of content and uh it's you know everything's still not back to normal so it's hard to get out and and film the way we really want to but um you were trying to take the the right precautions and and you know i'm generally i'm by myself when i do these so that's a good thing but um yeah well occasionally you feature your daughter who is a celebrity in her own right you know, and I did one. I finally got the older daughter. We went to, I can't even remember. I wish I could remember the name of the, the gas station because it was all seafood. And they were boiling crawfish in the gas station. And you could literally walk up. And of course, this was before COVID. I'm sure they're not doing this now. You could walk up and take a crawfish and try it before you bought it. Which oh, I yeah. thought was pretty Those cool. Yeah, and they had some great boudin balls and gumbo. I mean, they had everything in that gas station. It was a hard place to find, too, but it, was, it ended up being pretty cool. So got the older daughter in, involved in it, finally. It took a while. They were both there <laughs> when I filmed in, at Rose's in Addisburg, but I couldn't get either one of them to come on camera with me. <laughs> well, they'll get there. Stafford Sheridan, man, we appreciate you checking in with us, and we want to encourage all of our listeners to check out his great work of service station food reviews. He travels all over and post on social media. Stafford Sheridan, thanks a lot for calling in. Good luck to you. Be safe out there, and we'll get you back on on the show soon. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Hi, I'm Java Chapman, and Malcolm and Carol, they're not live today, but we put together some of their favorite moments from 2020 to share with you. Calling us all the way from New York City. However, she is a local girl, having grown up in Greenville in the Mississippi Delta. Welcome, Larison Campbell. Thank you so much, Malcolm and Carol. I'm excited to be on the show. You know, Malcolm and I first started talking about this the day your Vanity Fair article came came out and you know we told java that larison campbell we've got to get larison campbell so um java's the man and and made it happen so we are happy to see you i'm thrilled to be here i really am i mean it's such a fun it's such a fun 
whole area to talk about. So. I know, and and in your job as the freelance writer, you are covering, you know, from one end of the spectrum to the other. I saw yesterday morning you had a big article in the Daily Beast of Mississippi and COVID and the situation with coroners and morgues, and so we go from that to cookbooks. How, how does that feel? The Ginger League. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder if I should pin down my brand a little bit better, but um, maybe it'll make pitching easier. But yes, right now I'm, I'm writing about it all. So <laughs> I love the title of the piece in Vanity Fair. My mother's old Junior League cookbooks seem like a retro joke. Instead, they were extremely satisfying. So what is it like growing up with your in the Mississippi Delta, uh, in your mom and dad's house there, entertaining and, and seeing sort of that viewpoint uh, as a child growing up uh, in that great Mississippi Delta heritage. Yeah, and you know, I think this is something probably a lot of listeners can relate to, but I really kind of grew up taking the idea that like good, I, I, I grew up taking the idea of good food, <clears throat> excuse me, for granted, really. You know, I mean, it's just, my mom is, a real, I, I know everyone says their mother is a good cook, um, is a great cook. Your My mom is a good cook. Okay, good. Okay, good. See, I've got Carol backing me up here. So, um, I know some people, I know one person that has stated that when the COVID uh, 19 pandemic is over, the first place she wants to put her feet is under Nancy Campbell's table. Oh, I, my mom, I can guarantee you is feeling the exact same way. I think the first thing she wants to do when this is all over is have a big dinner party. So, um, and, and that's kind of the way I grew up. I mean, my parents, there is nothing I think that my parents enjoy more than having people over for dinner. And so that was kind of the way it was growing up, you know, but um, even in, you know, even on a Tuesday night, we'd have a pretty, a pretty decent um, spread. You know, I think she just, I think for her cooking is a really big way of showing love, showing affection and welcoming people in. And she just does it so well that um, it's kind of, it's kind of a joy on both sides of the equation. And it's really wonderful that she does it so well in spite of being a full-time physician. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's just not your stay at home cook. No, no. And she did do that. She um, came to her uh, to being a doctor a little bit later in life in her mid 40s. But um, and I was a, I think my sisters and I have two uh, younger sisters. And I think we were all a little bit afraid when she went to medical school that we would suddenly lose the great meals. But that has not happened. She does seem to manage both of them very well. So I'm, I'm lucky in that regard. So your mom packed up a bunch of cookbooks and that's how that all this article started. <laughs> So my mom um, has uh, has a, you know, I think you could probably safely call it a compulsion where she buys cookbooks all the time. And it's great because, like, as a daughter, I know that if I get her a couple of cookbooks for Christmas, like, she's going to be thrilled. And, you know, so it, it does make gift buying in my family very easy. But, I mean, she has a large shelf in her office that's full of cookbooks, and she just runs out of space all the time. So, um, so she gradually sort of wean, you know, thins out the collection every now and then. And I get, and I get the leftovers. And, um, so I wound up with this great trove of, you know, these community cookbooks, um, a lot of them junior league, uh, and, um, you know, you can kind of tell which ones are her favorites because those are the ones I didn't get. And I think, I think when I started reading through them, I, I requested some other ones. And she was willing to send me, say, Party Potpourri in Memphis. And she That's sent me, uh, yeah, what's and that? You cannot buy a copy of Party Potpourri. I mean, that, and I see she sent you Cotton Country Collection. I mean, I can't believe she let go of that. I can't believe that either. And that was actually one of the first ones she let go of, too. But she did not let go of either of the Jackson ones. All all the Jackson Junior League resident, uh members should be thrilled to hear. But uh, yeah, she, um, I know Cotton Country is the best. I mean, it is, and it's a Cotton Country collection too, I should say. So it's kind of, what is that? Is it, It's kind of a compendium of like a bunch of different ones, right? Sort of over the years, they sort of put a bunch together, I think. 
now I'm I'm not I'm not sure. Maybe they just call it collection, but it is certainly okay. one one of the most honored uh, cookbooks. Now the first Junior League cookbook was Charleston Receipts, and mm. then the the best selling cookbook of all Junior League cookbooks is Louisiana. Uh, I mean, it's River Road from Baton Rouge. That's right. And it has sold like over a million copy i mean it, it's just I, phenomenal i want to say i think it's still in print it, it, it might is. be one of the only it ones is. that it, yeah Actually, i just was looking at my notes it, it, it was first published in 1959 and it is now sold 1.9 million copies so it's up there with the bible i mean not quite that not not quite that high but it is up there <laughs> <laughs> maybe so, a, a week second Weeks, yeah. <laughs> <Ripper> <laughs> so you started flipping through these cookbooks, and it's just funny because I mean, I, I do think that you know the beginning of the pandemic, we there was just this long period of time where I was like, what What do I do with this time? And it's not that I wasn't busy, but you just suddenly found yourself with like these, you know, these stretches that like you just kind of didn't know what to do so you started pulling books off the shelf and I pulled some older books off the shelf that I planned to read those are still on my bedside table probably haven't gotten to those yet but the cookbooks it was just there's something you know I think fundamentally I was just really drawn to them during this period because cookbooks I mean it really is cooking and eating that's how you take care of yourself right and I think the pandemic is especially the beginning of it when it was just so unprecedented and it was so, and it still is so unsettling. Um, but you know, it, there's so much uncertainty and you, I'm trying to think of how to say this, but it really helps to have this, to sort of think about taking care of yourself and taking care of your family and eating and like planning food. And it's sort of, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of what gives you life, right? And during like a really uncertain, scary time when you're not really sure what life is going to be, um, you know, in terms of, you know, health wise and also like in terms of just like, are things going to look the same? I don't know. It was just, I, I found that I was really drawn to cookbooks and I think, um, I, I know the Facebook group that you started, the cooking and coping, like it's just, and, and actually even before I opened up the Junior League cookbooks, I'd seen that and it's just it just resonates with so many people right now. Now, that was just a small taste of some of the great moments we've had on Deep South Dining. Now, if you miss any of our shows this year, download the MPB Public Media app and take a walk down memory lane on your schedule or subscribe to the podcast using any podcasting app. Just search Deep South Dining. Now, Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded by the generous contributions from listeners like you. For Carol Puckett and Malcolm White, I'm Java Chapman. Now coming up next, it's Now You're Talking with Marsha Ramsey and Southern Remedy at 11. And join us next Monday at 9 for Deep South Dining, only on MPB Think Radio.